Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. I'm Millette Jones, and every weekday I chat with today's most successful coaches, and we learn their secrets to building a thriving coaching business. Are you ready to be unstoppable? Let's go. Welcome to the Unstoppable Coach Podcast, where inspiration and action come together. Today we're chatting with Kim Lambert. Kim is a travel writer, a speaker, photographer, writing and publishing strategist, and coach. She has more than 20 times hit the Amazon number one bestsellers list. She has more than 35 books to date. She owns Dreamstone Publishing. They design, edit, format, and publish books for authors. She mentors business owners to boost their authority, assisting them with creating books that produce the optimal result for their business. She's also the creator of the Zero to Book three-day writing course. Kim, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, before we jump into more about your business, I always like to start out with people telling us just a little bit about who they are personally some of the things that they like to do when they're not busy at work? Travel is a really good thing there. <laughs> uh, I basically spent a lot of my younger life traveling mainly in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. And because I made a decision early on that I knew all these people who, who would like take a gap year after they finished year 12. Mm-hmm. We call that's the end of high school for us. It's it's college and things in the US. I'm not sure on the appropriate terms, but would take a year at the end of that before they went into university and go overseas. Right? It was a big tradition thing, and and I looked at it and I went, but most of you have never been anywhere in Australia. <laughs> like you're going to mm-hmm. get overseas, and they're going to say, "Tell us about," and they're going to go, "I've never been there." <laughs> <laughs> and like, I guess, you know, it's actually understandable in that Australia is the same ground area as continental US, if not a fraction bigger, once you straighten that out. And, and mm-hmm. we only have the population of greater New York City spread thinly over that, mainly around the edges. So, yeah, Australia is very big. It's, most Australians have not seen all of the country, like most people in the US haven't seen all of the country. Um, right. But still, it was like, hang on a minute. How about seeing what's at home first? So I made a conscious decision that I would do that. And then later in my life, I would travel overseas. So in the last 11 years, I've been to, I think we're up to 33 countries. (laughs) Nice. So that's getting added to all the time. And... I've done all sorts of things in my life. Uh, I've worked in multiple different types of jobs. Uh, I've run a number of different businesses. There's a huge list. I'm one of those people who is a generalist rather than a specialist in Mm -hmm. that there's way too many interesting things out there to just do one thing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. Now, you know, we all love to be inspired by people's journey. So the first part of our conversation is really going to focus on your business journey. Now, you have a lot of things that you do, and I would like to focus a little bit more on the coaching aspect. So how long has coaching been a part of what you do and what really led you to get started coaching in the first place? That would be 
somewhere where I would start with, that depends on your definition of coaching. Because I first started teaching other people in some form when I was about 10. (laughs) I started teaching other people to ride horses. And on and off through my life, I've been involved in teaching other people in the areas I've been in. And it reached the point where whilst I've worked in corporate jobs for the last 25, 30 years, we've had a business as well. And that business has varied over time in different publishing areas. So we we first published a hardcover book in 1990. And at that stage in time, that was a monumentally painful exercise because we didn't have the tools that we have now. And we kind of moved away from that and went into publishing art prints. So we had some fantastic artists signed up and we produced some really beautiful work, some of which won print awards. And then around 2000, the Chinese trade opened up and the cheap Chinese print copies of posters flooded the market and the market went away. <laughs> So we sort of put things on hold for a few years and did corporate jobs and and didn't do much with the business. And then around 2006, 2007, the whole concept of digital publishing started to come into existence and people had started selling PDF books on the internet. Mm -hmm. And and I went, well, hang on, there's got to be potential here. Let me look at this. So we explored that. And then around 2000 and late 2007, 2008, Amazon invented the Kindle and it set off an entire chain of changes in the concept of digital publishing. And apart from spawning a bunch of competitive products, it changed the face of how people expected to read. Mm. And at the same time, the technology became available for print-on-demand paperbacks. So suddenly, for someone to publish something, they didn't need $10,000 and they didn't end up with a 1,000 copies of something in boxes in their garage. Everything could be done online. But very few people knew how to do any of it back then. So I looked at it and went, well, this is a fantastic opportunity. I have all the background. I have a lot of material. Why don't I explore this? So to begin with, I was just doing my own stuff until I worked out how to do it all. Because it is, like anything, it has its idiosyncrasies. The tools seem simple, but if what you feed into it is bad, what comes out is bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I worked through that, and at the same time, I was setting myself up over about a three- or four-year period to get myself out of doing corporate jobs because I had just reached the point where I was over it. (laughs) Mm. And... So in 2014, I went to full-time just doing the publishing business, and that's both publishing for others and writing my own books and publishing those. And when I went into that, my expectation was that the primary part of what I would do was people would be coming to me with a completed manuscript, and I would do the process to get that published for them. But it soon became really obvious to me that that wasn't what people needed because I was in a number of very large Facebook groups at the time. Most of the people in those groups were in the coaching, helping, healing type industries. And somebody, the questions people would ask 
or the way people would respond to things that I said or things that I answered came down to how do I write my book? Where do I start? How mm-hmm. do I take all this stuff that has fallen out of my head into documents and turn it into a book? Right. So over time, it, I very rapidly realized that what people wanted was a coaching situation. They didn't want a service provider situation, although that was part of it down the track. What they wanted was the coaching, the hand-holding, the support, the information that would let them go from, I've got a great idea, to, look, here's my book in my hand. So it went from there. Yeah, absolutely, because I think that a lot of a lot of coaches look at writing a book as just a part of their business strategy. Like maybe they they do have a story that they want to tell. They don't know exactly how to tell it, but there's also that that other side of it where they feel like it's going to help them build up their authority. So they they want to get it out, but they just don't know how. Absolutely. And, And it will help them build up their authority. There's no doubt because this is actually one of the best times ever to write a book simply because the whole digital publishing thing has really only been around in in decent quality tools for six or seven years. So all of our, like, people's perceptions about writing a book are grounded in the old days when right. you wrote your book and you submitted it to a traditional publisher and you were one of, you know, 250,000 people who sent in a manuscript that year and they picked a thousand of those that they thought they could sell 5,000 copies of in their region of the world to publish. So you were begging to get your book out there. And it didn't matter if you had a fantastic niche subject that there was demand for. If they couldn't see that they could sell 5,000 copies in their allocated region of the world, they were never going to publish your book. So the perception is that being an author is a difficult thing to achieve and being an author is a thing that carries with it a lot of authority because in those days to get to be an author, you had to be one in 250 or more just to get accepted. But now it's really easy to do. We have all these fantastic tools and you don't have to learn to do everything yourself. You can if you're interested and that's fantastic. And some of the coaching I do is teaching people how to use the tools. But you can also pay people to do the other side of what my business does and do all that bit for you. If you don't want to learn how to drive the tools, you don't have to. You can be the subject matter expert on your topic and let somebody else be the publishing subject matter expert to do it for you. And there's no gatekeeper on it. It's not, you know, I'm not saying your book isn't good enough to be published. I might be saying, We need to work on this to make this the best book it can be before we publish it so that you get the results you're after. But I'm not saying I don't think this is a topic that will sell. It's not mine to judge. If you have something and you'd like a book made, that's your choice. If you have an audience you think are interested, fine. If you just want to see your name up on Amazon and you don't care if anybody ever buys it, that's fine too because that's your personal choice. And you should be able to do it. So I'm about helping people get there. So in terms of someone with a business, what usually happens is they say one of two things. One is either, I know so much about this, I need to tell people everything. 
And I'm like, no, 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 you don't want to write an encyclopedia. They will never read it. <laughs> but you do want to write a series of short books. That's fantastic. Oh. Or the other thing they say is, oh, I know all this stuff, but I don't know where to start. Do I know enough to tell people? And the answer is yes, because if you have a business and you have some customers, even if it's only a few, even if you're starting out, if you have customers that are willing to pay you, then you already know that people want the things you know and they're willing to pay for that knowledge. So in the same way, they're going to be willing to buy your book because you can't do one-on-ones with everybody in the world. But you can make your book available so that anyone in the world can buy it if they want that knowledge. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of things that you just said. And the first was that you don't want to write an encyclopedia, but it is a good idea to write a series. How large should this book be that people get started with? Okay, that's one of those, it depends. (laughs) Right. (laughs) um, And... That also comes back a little bit to the psychology of the traditional publishing era. Mm -hmm. So apart from the fact that the publishers would set arbitrary word counts for what they wanted to see, which had nothing to do with the depth of information or the, the story being well told or whatever, that was just, this is the size we think is right. Mm -hmm. The other aspect of it was that If you had to order something and wait weeks for it to arrive and pay a huge amount of shipping cost, you wanted to get your money's worth. So somebody who wanted to know how to do some paving in their yard would buy a 200-page or a 300-page book on home maintenance, which might have four pages on paving in it. But they were going to be paying 50 or $60 for the book plus $20 shipping or whatever. So they wanted their value. But they only got four pages on paving. These days, you can do a 20-page book on paving and do it as a bit digital book and someone will pay you $5 for it. And they'll be thrilled because they didn't get four pages on paving. They got 20 and it costs them very little, but you make money. So a book can be quite small if it answers what someone needs. And that's the key to doing a series because each book should be a one problem, one solution thing. People buy books really only for two basic reasons. So one is entertainment, vicarious living, pain relief, whatever, fiction basically. Go Mm -hmm. read something, transport you from your mundane life in whichever way you want to. For non-fiction, people buy books to solve a problem because they want to learn something. They want to learn something because they want to solve a problem in their life. That, that might be they want to be able to do something better. might be they want to lose weight. Uh, might be they want to stop smoking. It might be that you know, they want to learn how to meditate. It might be they want to build a chicken shed. <laughs> it does, it, it's still... They want to learn something. They want to solve the problem they have, which is they want to do a thing and they don't know how. So for a coach in a business, if I say to most people in a business, what are the five most common questions that your clients ask you? They can tell me. Like I've never met a business owner who didn't go, oh, and out it comes Uh, when I ask that. 
And I think most of your listeners are probably going, oh, yeah, <laughs> right now. Exactly. <laughs> so those things, those are the first five books you're going to write. Okay. I was about to say, are those the five chapters or are those five no, books? No, that's the first five books because each of those questions normally will be, will be different. It'll be different angles. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that couple of them might be really close together and it might just be one book, but mostly there'll be five to ten things that a business owner hears over and over again to the point where they're really, really sick of answering them that are key pieces, that are key things that they can solve for people, which is why they have customers. So they pick the one that's most commonly asked and they've probably already got 80 or 90% of their material written because they will have sent emails answering that question over and over again. They've probably written blog posts about it. They've probably got FAQs on their website about it. They might have printed out handout leaflets in their shop front if they've got a shop front. But they've answered it so often, they've written it down somewhere. So you take the question, you go find that pre-existing content you have, And you look at it and you say, if the person stood in front of me now and asked the question, what order would I answer it in? What would I say first in what order? Find the pre-written bits in that order. There's the order of the things in your book. Check that you've got them in the right order, like are there dependencies? Do some things have to be told for them to understand the next bit? Mm -hmm. Check that. And then you'd basically take your pre-written content, expand it a bit, Write what I call linking content, which links one bit of it to the next so Mm. that it flows and break it into chapters. There you've got a book. Like I said, it doesn't have to be big. The optimum size, if you want to do it as a paperback, if you want to have paperback copies on your um, shopfront counter, your reception counter, is about 100 to 120 pages. But that might only be 15,000 words Mm. because... In a non-fiction book, if you want to teach somebody something, you need pictures and you need diagrams and you need quite a bit of white space on the page because if you make it look like a textbook, they won't read it. (laughs) These days, people are so used to doing things visually, like they watch YouTube stuff. They're they're doing visual things all the time, Um, motivational quotes on Facebook, all of that stuff. We're used to visual things with space around our words. And as a consequence, we find that when you give somebody something to read, you need to give it to them in snippets that are easily readable because we also read, like people these days read more than they ever did. They've got 500 books on their phone and they read at the bus stop for five minutes and they read on the bus and they read for five minutes while they're waiting for the meeting to start. But they're reading in snippets because that's the time they have. Right. So if you lay your book out so that your information is delivered in visual snippets, uh, a couple of paragraphs of text with a fair amount of white space around it and a picture in each piece, people will read it. They'll connect with it. They'll find it easy to understand. When you do that, it expands the number of pages in your book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But also what people don't realize is that when you open up a Word document, and you go to type away and put in your information, 99% of people just accept the standard page size that Microsoft defaults to, Right. which which in the US is letter-sized paper, and in Australia and a number of other parts of the world is A4-sized paper. 
one A4 or letter page is actually two book pages in a six by nine inch book. Right. Mm-hmm. So people go, oh, I've only written 20 pages. Well, that 20 pages of text is 40 pages of text. And when we put some pictures and diagrams in it and space it out a bit more so there's some white space and it's readable, we have some margins on the page to make it, that 40 pages becomes more like 100 to 120 and there's your book. So, so you can do tiny books, you know, right. 20 pages, really topic-specific. You can do things that are a little broader, uh, up to that 100, 120 pages. If you go beyond that, you're cutting your own throat <laughs> because mm. people are going to be only going to be willing to pay you the same amount of money, whether it's 100 pages long or 200 pages long. So if the topic can be broken down into specific enough chunks to give someone a solution to an issue in 100 pages. Sell them two 100-page books. Make twice the money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, just thinking of it from more from a business perspective, it also, I don't know, it makes you have more authority if you can say, yeah, I've I've written five books, than if you say, oh, I've written one big fat book. <laughs> yeah, because people go, like these days, because of the the self publishing, the digital publishing revolution. Now, if people say I've written a book, people go, mm, okay, and they look they're looking for quality and and what is it about and things. But if you say I've written five books, they go, oh, you must know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just that big step. And in a business, particularly people who have a business in like a local area where where they are the type of business that does one-on-one things with customers who walk into a shop front or who they go to and see. They might meet in the coffee shops, however you do it. But if you work in a local area face-to-face or you work in a local area in the kind of business that builds things even, you've usually got some competition. There's generally a number of other businesses in your area doing something pretty similar. Mm -hmm. You might have some individual specialisations, But to your potential customer, you'll look pretty similar when they're going to look for it. So the book is a differentiator because it comes down to if you have to choose between three possible vendors, who are you going to pick? The one who wrote the book on it? Well, and I think for a lot of coaches, they also work in speaking to some of their offerings. So a business coach might go and give lunch and learns to realtors. Well, you know, that's going to be a couple of different things that they could do with that. They could obviously, if they were allowed, they could have their book there available for sale. And then they could also use it as a way to incentivize an opt-in and take five books to, to give away to people who sign up for the discovery calls, things like that. So it makes sense. Absolutely. To have something tangible, something in hand that you can use in your business. And there's another angle on that going in the opposite direction. If somebody speaks fairly often, they've probably got three or four signature talks that they do, which might vary a bit depending on the audience or the questions they've been asked to address. But in most cases, if you give a speech somewhere, it's possible to get it recorded. Mm -hmm. Once you have that recording, you can get it transcribed. There's a couple of sites online that will transcribe your recording for you for a dollar a minute. 40 minutes of talking, 40 minutes to an hour of talking is between 40 and 100 pages of transcribed text. Oh, 
Okay. So you stand up and you give that talk and you get it recorded, get it transcribed. You just write your book or at least one Mm. book. (laughs) Yeah, you have to edit it and make it how you want it to be because in a book you do a bit more explaining and you get to put your diagrams and things in. But it's remarkable how fast you can build up material. Right. So that's that's actually a really good idea for coaches that already have a speaking portion of their business. They could potentially have books ready to be written and they don't even know it. Absolutely. And something else to think about is that when we talk about books, people tend to think about paperbacks. What they see in their mind is a paperback. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain tendency to think that digital books are still somehow less which is crazy because it's the same content. The value is still there. It's just a different format of presenting it. But the big value in having a digital version of your book is that digital books can have live links in them. Digital books can have embedded audio and video in them. So if you have recordings, if you Mm -hmm. say, say you're someone who teaches some personal wellness sort of things and you might have short meditation audios that you use, you can embed them in a digital book. You can have ads in the back of your digital book effectively, you know, other products from Authorname and links to your website with your courses or whatever else you sell. So someone can read your book, get all fired up at how wonderful it's just made them feel because it's solved their problem, get to the end and click on the link and go straight to your website and buy more from you. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then also I guess you could have different ways that people could opt into your list, offer free content that they could click through. Any book should always have a sign up to my email list here to get news, to get this, and ideally to get a giveaway. And a giveaway doesn't have to be even a multi-page report or something. A giveaway can be a one-page checklist if the checklist solves a problem for people. Right. What order do I do it in to achieve this? That kind of thing people love because it means they don't have to work it out. Or a worksheet. So if if someone has a teaching type book and in that book they talk about a number of exercises that people go through to achieve whatever they're trying to achieve, you can make a PDF worksheet for, for each of those exercises and you can either assemble those into something you sell as a workbook or you can use one of those worksheets as a giveaway so that people can get the exercise. Something I also recommend that people do is that they talk about it in their book as bonus content. So for each section of the book or each exercise, you have a piece of bonus content that relates, which might be an audio, a worksheet, a short video. You set up a page on your website with those things on it and you password that page so that someone has to put in the password and the email address to get access. Mm-hmm. In the back of your book, so all the way through your book, you put little present box icons and you tell them about the bonus content and you give them the link. And in the back of the book, you give them the password. You don't put the password in the front of the book because on Amazon and things, you have the look inside feature. Mm, right. <laughs> you want them to have to read the book <laughs> to get the password. Um but so then they get to it, they want the giveaways because they don't want to have to write out the sheet. They want mm-hmm. to be able to print out a sheet that's sure. pre-done. They go to your website. They give you their email address, put in the password, download the presents. They love you. You got their email address. So that's a great way to really inspire people to take action as they're going through the book, to get through the book, to get to the end, and then also to have a way to keep that relationship going. 
Yeah. So how much of an investment would you say that this is? Is this something that a brand new coach that's just getting started could do? Or is this something that's a little more of a time and financial investment? And it might be something that someone needs a little experience and and needs to have their business a little bit built up first. Partly depends on the background the person brings to the business in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if there are some credibility things they have beyond I have done a course in X and now I'm being a coach in it, Mm -hmm. then it's a lot easier to do earlier. But some of the things you do need to have in place to get optimal benefit are an email list and a way to collect it and a simple website to assist that. The first thing you should be writing is a simple thing as a giveaway to get people onto your email list, which could be just a checklist, a one-page checklist about your special area. Or it could be a 10 or a 20-page report about it if you want to write that. It's a case of whatever works for you easily. But step one is to start getting an email list built. Step two is then to look at breaking down what you do into what are those one problem things. Mm -hmm. What are the most common things that, that you deal with or that you have answers for? Because you can't write a series of books if you don't know what you're going to write them on. And you can't work that out unless you actually know the problems you solve for your customers. You can't market to your customers unless you know that either. So it's a really good exercise. Once you've worked that out... Then you can look at creating a book. And I always recommend that people aim for a series of books from the start so they can do the branding because a book is a branding exercise. A book is, in fact, a long-form sales letter in disguise. Oh, interesting. If you're going to do a series, you're going to have a series title. You're going to have a situation where there'll be something that will be the same on every book cover. That might be fonts. It might be like a colored bar across the top with the series title in it. It might be a style. It might be a logo. But they're going to know the second they look at a book of yours that it's yours and that it's in that series. There'll be something that links them that way visually. You should be looking at your colors in that. If you do have like a color bar across the top or whatever, your colors should echo the colors in your logo and on your website. So you want to have a logo by that stage as well. Because it needs to be immediately linked to you. And then when you're writing it, having case studies is fantastic. So you anonymize them, you know, mm-hmm. change the names or whatever. But you've, if you're working with individuals to solve their problems, you've probably got notes about each of your clients. Right. So you can pick the ones that are the most impressive success stories or the most interesting things you've worked on and you can write them up as a case study with other names and, and so that nobody can easily work out who it is. And then in your book, when you do your book on that particular problem area, you put the case study in there. And you don't just say, Mary did this and miracles happen. You say, when I took Mary through my process to da-da-da-da-da, then miracles happen. Because that makes it, you caused the miracles. And you do that three or four case studies through a book, you have sold yourself by the time they get to the end. And it has click here or go here to, to sign up. So you need to have at least a little bit of experience going in your business to use in those kind of ways and you need that website and email list collecting system set up so you can get the best value out of it and put those things in your book. Now the fantastic thing with with digital publishing too is that if those things change 
or if you add to those things along the way, we can just modify the file and upload a new file. Bingo, your book's updated. None of these, oh, my God, I've got 100 copies that I need to throw away. <laughs> no, you, you really only, you can order with print on, you can order one copy at a time. You can order 20 at a time. I generally don't suggest that people order more than 20 to 50 at a time unless they're going to be giving them away straight away. Mm-hmm. So if, if you've done a deal with a big conference that you're speaking at, that a copy of the book will go in every goodie bag or something, sure, you might, you'll order however many you need. But generally, you can have them to you in a few days. So order 20 at a time because even though you know, in our editing process and our proofreading, we, we will have gone through it 15 times before it's published. We will miss something and so will you because the more times you go through something, the more word blindness happens. You know what should be there, so that's what you see. Right. So you can guarantee that some cheerful reader <laughs> will find a typo, the one typo in the book that you missed and let you know. And these days we just update the right. files. And if you did have 20 books, there's only 20 books with a typo in it, <laughs> not hundreds. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You, you actually answered the question that I was sitting here thinking about. Like, this is not something that a brand new coach should just say, Oh, that's not for me. Because even if they don't have those case studies, but they feel like they have good information, good solutions, they can go ahead and create something. And then as their business grows, they can just tweak those files and add case studies or add more examples. I'm just thinking, even if you're fairly new, you write the book, maybe later on you create a course or a product around it. You can add those links in at a later date and have more ways. It's just, it's something that can just evolve as you evolve definitely and one thing i do have to say there is that like most things there are cheap ways to do anything but the cheapest way is not necessarily the best answer so in in book terms the two things that you need to not skimp on are editing and your cover and that's because And this is particularly true for people in coaching areas, not so much business coaches, although I've seen it there, but people in coaching areas that are more about emotional, personal, physiological type Mm -hmm. things. Those people tend to be what could be described as as fluffy. They're all about touchy-feely connection stuff, which is fantastic for their clients, but it's not so good organizing your thoughts in terms of written notes generally means that they're great at writing snippets about things. They've got all the content, but putting that into an order to make it a nice flowing logical book when they're not standing there to explain things when people ask them questions is a challenge. That's what an editor is for. If you work with an editor, not only will they help you make your sentences read correctly and make the whole thing flow better, But it lets you abandon the silly thing that we were all taught in school, which was write an outline and then start at the introduction and write till you get to the conclusion in that order. Like that is the guaranteed path to writer's block. (laughs) Because that's not how we think. We think in stuff catches our eye and and it reminds us of something and somebody says something and it reminds us of something. So what I get people to do is create what I call a book plan, 
which is just a brain dump of notes about what things they have to cover in the book to get the reader from the beginning to the end, to the thing they need to be able to do or have learnt by the end Mm -hmm. of the book. That brain dump doesn't have to be in order. It's just about what do I have to cover to not leave anything out so they can actually get there. Then you can write those things whenever they're clear in your head. So if you're standing in the supermarket and you suddenly think, I know exactly how to explain that piece, (laughs) go home, write it down then. It doesn't matter if you haven't, if that's towards, you think that's going to be towards the end of the book and you haven't written the rest yet. Write the things that are clear in your mind when they're clear in your mind because you will write better and people will understand it better. Then your editor helps you put it all in the right order, smooth out the bumps and fill in any gaps. Mm. If you try and do that yourself, unless you've had a lot of practice, you won't get the polished result that you want. And it's the same with a book cover. You can go to Fiverr or one of these cheap sites and you can pay somebody almost nothing to make you a book cover and you'll have a 75% chance that it will be ugly or very basic or you might love it, but it won't be designed in a way that will sell you books. Because your book cover, you don't actually need to like. You can hate it, but if it's going to sell your book, it's a really good thing. (laughs) Uh, You have to be a very big name also with a very big following before you can do things just because you like them. Because people respond to it. And so covers are very much about making the cover instantly convey to the viewer the genre your book is in roughly what it's about. They need to be able to read the title, even when it's like an inch tall in thumbnail results on their computer screen on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be aligned with other books in your genre while still standing out. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? But readers have an expectation. They think, if if they're reading fiction, they think an urban fantasy book or a science fiction book will have a cover that has this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. on it. And if your cover is a science fiction book but but the cover you've put on it looks like a historical romance book, the science fiction reader isn't going to buy your book. They're not even going to get to the sales page to look at it. So, you know, if you're doing a diet book, people have certain expectations about what kind of things might be on the cover. If you're doing a business coaching book, people have certain expectations there. You need to align with the expectations at least enough that someone at a quick glance in search results goes, hey, that's my kind of book. Then it has to stand out from the other 12 on that page that are, that's my kind of book. And that's subtle things like if you have a cover that is mainly paler colors or mainly darker colors, have one thing on it somewhere that is a startling red or a deep Mm -hmm. orange because the eye is drawn to it. And if it's in a row of, you know, 10 or 20 other covers and it's the only one with a startling piece of something like that on it, people will see it first. They'll go look Mm -hmm. at it first. So there's a whole range of things like that that matter, which is why you need to work with a cover designer who actually has a clue. And you need to spend some time on Amazon researching what people are buying in your topic area now so that you can align it well enough to get that benefit of them understanding instantly that you're their kind of book. So let's talk a little bit about how long 
it takes for someone to actually get a book written from start to finish. And, and I'm talking more about the business person that maybe has a little bit more strategy in the back of their mind rather than, you know, oh, I have this burning desire to get this creation out there. But but maybe they're just a little bit more like, this is an element of my business. I need this to present myself as an authority. I want to get this done. I have a decent amount of content. How much time and energy should they plan on devoting to this if it's something that they're really serious about getting it done and getting it done right, but they don't want it to be a two-year process? So there are three stages. The first stage is some of the things we've talked about in terms of understanding what problems you're solving for your client and what makes how you do that different from anybody else who might do something similar. So if you were, for example, a hypnotherapist Mm -hmm. who specialized in helping people stop smoking, there might be three or four other hypnotherapists around who advertise helping people stop smoking. What is it about how you do it that makes you different? So you need to understand that aspect and you need to understand that what are the five most common questions you answer or the five most common problems you solve up front. And that's a thinking thing because that's stuff that can happen while you're doing your daily work, while you're doing your daily relaxation. And when bits of it come clear to you, Mm -hmm. you write them down. When you've captured that understanding of what you do, what you can write about and why you're special, then you can actually go into the next piece of that first phase, which is going and finding in the blog posts and brochures and website and things you already have, stuff you've already written about those things. So you put getting the pieces ready, basically. Once you have that clarity about what you're writing and what you can write, and when you have any pre-existing material you've already done, then you need to lock yourself away for preferably three days or so, where nobody is going to interrupt you and you go through the process of taking those things and putting them in a sensible order. You know, Imagining the client in front of you and you're talking to them about it, they're teaching them the thing, you know, then open your eyes and find the pieces of the material you've got and put them in that order. Construct your book as if it's a session with a person in front of you mm. and write it. You put the pieces together, then you look at the gaps. Because there's probably some stuff you saw in your head that you didn't have something already written for. So then you write those bits. And then you look for the bits where you need to make it smoother to flow from one to the next. You know, why have we gone from this piece of the topic to this piece of the topic in the next chapter? Link it up. Yeah. That gets you all of your material written. Then the third phase is the packaging phase, which is where you work usually with your editor, with your cover designer, with your formatter. Whoever's going to help you take it from your raw material, raw written material, to publishing it so that you'll decide what it's going to look like, find your diagrams and work out where to put them, work out what if you've got any case studies and where to put them, work out what you're putting in the back about your email list and about your other courses and things, and actually have somebody working with you to assemble that into the master file that will become the book. So those are the three steps. That, but the key writing, inverted commas, piece, is is that three-day block where you take the material that you found you already had, 
and you manipulate that and write any extra bits to put it in the order it needs to be for your first book. So this is something that people can, you know, I actually interviewed someone once who said that when she had a project she needed to do, she went away to a hotel for a three-day weekend, left all of her electronics somewhere else and just, you know, like got herself into the zone and spent set Friday, Saturday and Sunday doing what she needed to do. And that sounds like something that people could do. Just go on a little three day retreat, leave all of your computers and mobiles at home and get this book knocked out in a three day weekend. Well, you probably still need your laptop to type it on, but yes, <laughs> um, but yes. It, and so long as you've done that preparation work first, so you've done mm-hmm. your thinking work and you're finding pre-existing things work just as bits around your daily life, once you've got that gathered together, that three-day block is really all you need because you've got most of your material. It sounds like that this is really something that any coach, no matter what their experience level, could realistically put something together so that they had sort of that next step in their business. They they were starting to build that authority and it's definitely something that they could go back and tweak and edit and add to as they gained more and more experience. So is there any any final bits of advice or information that you would have to offer for a coach that might be interested in in thinking about doing this sort of thing? Something we haven't touched on, which could be important for some of your listeners is that for people who have either physical challenges, so um, particularly people with RSI, you know, with, with or hand issues or arm issues or back issues, where they can't sit and type mm-hmm. for very long at a time, where they struggle to work on that type of thing, not only can they record something and send it off to be transcribed, but there are plenty of dictation tools. So there's um, Dragon, naturally speaking, is the, the oldest one, which is an application that you install on your computer and it learns your voice and you can mm-hmm. talk your book at it. Uh, Microsoft have a uh, one which is actually built into Windows 10 now, which is called Dictate, that you can use as part of Office. So you can just talk your book at it. So if somebody has some limitations or they're, they're just finding it challenging, they sit down and, and they just can't get the head together when they try and type, but they can think mm-hmm. about it and talk, it's worth trying that. Now, you, you do have to teach these things your voice a bit, and you do then have to fix their spellos because they get a bit interpretative because everybody right. says things slightly differently. But it can save someone a massive amount of work. Uh, and for some people, that's a lot easier. That's great advice because even if someone doesn't have a disability, for some people, just the thought of having to sit down and type out even 20 pages of material is something that they would allow to be a roadblock. So just having that other option of I could record this and then send it off to be transcribed, or I could get one of these software programs and speak the book into it is really, you know, taking 
taking one of those barriers away for a lot of people. So that's really great advice. This has been so good. And I've learned so much about writing a book and creating that whole process. And this is something that I would like to do in the future. So this has been a really informative interview for me as well. And I would love it if we could finish up with the final five rapid fire questions. So what is one habit or skill that's helped you become unstoppable? Persistence. What's one quality that you feel every successful entrepreneur needs to spend some time developing? Self-belief. Recommend one book for us that's had a big impact, either on your business or on your life. That is an impossible question to answer. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of figured it might be. (laughs) Because I read so much across such a breadth of things. I I can never answer what's your favorite questions of any kind because it's all just so broad. Um, people persist in asking me, what's your favorite country to travel to? And they get the same response. Like, but, but they're all different. They all have individual value. Uh, and that's yep, true with absolutely. Books. Well, let's try this one. Give us an online resource that you use in your business and that you think coaches might enjoy using in theirs. Whether they would enjoy it or not. They really do need to be using an email collection service. Mm. And for most people, the easiest one to start with is MailChimp because it has, like, there are many of these things and some of them are very, very expensive and very sophisticated. MailChimp is free until you get up to 2,000 people on your list. So that's a fantastic thing for someone starting. But the reason I actually really like it is that it has the best interface for how I think for creating pretty emails to send to people with with images and other stuff in them. And that is really important because, sure, something that is just text is probably going to deliver to a slightly higher percentage of people. But something that has images and color and stuff in it, and you can even put video in your emails, that's going to engage people more. They will remember you more and they will connect with you more when you can do that. Absolutely. Now, finally, for all the listeners that have listened to this interview and they absolutely love the idea of writing a book and maybe they want to know more about what you do, how you might be able to help them, what's the best way to connect? Are you on social media? Can you give us your website? How how do people get in touch? So the website is dreamstonepublishing.com. Please note that we're in the middle of developing a new version of the website. So the one you'll see today will not look how it will in a month (laughs) or so's time and doesn't actually have all of our recent books listed on it because we've been working on building the new version. (laughs) But the core information is there uh, on Facebook Dreamstone Books, or Dream, no, Facebook is Dreamstone Publishing, sorry. Twitter is Dreamstone Books because you can only have a name of so much length. <laughs> Instagram is Dreamstone Books. <laughs> well, I will be sure to get all of those links and the recommendations up onto the show notes page. This has been so informative. I've so much enjoyed speaking to you this morning, Kim. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Unstoppable Coach Podcast. Be sure to head over to the website at unstoppablecoach.co where you can grab the show notes and check out all the resources and the links to the guest website and social sites. 
And be sure you join us every weekday when I interview another successful coach and we learn their secrets to building an unstoppable coaching business.